Some of you like talking about food way too much. Have a seat. It is uh, the weekend that people get dressed up to go and get candy. Uh, I am dressed up as our youth pastor. Um, Isaiah, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, If you weren't here uh, a while back, Isaiah was hosting, and uh, he tried to steal my job in front of all of you. He introduced himself as the campus pastor. And um, I said, well, you're not going to be here very long. But he's here two years, two years, gone two years. We love him. And so glazed with us. Now, here, we want to welcome everybody who's online. And, and for this week, this message is for those of us here at North and those of us who are online as we are doing a standalone weekend uh, for all of our campuses and really having our, our campus pastors share their heart. What is God doing? What are the trends they're seeing? Uh, what are the things that we need to address as a campus? And so we're, we're going to do that. But before we do, I wanted to kind of give you a little background. Uh, a few months ago, uh, one of our executive pastors, Charles Dishinger, um, has been here since the beginning of the church. And um, obviously we're, we're trying to prepare post-pandemic. What does this look, for, uh, look like for us as a church? Uh, fortunately, uh, unlike many churches, uh, we as a church have been able to kind of just stay the course for a couple of years where many churches were trying to make, make a lot of changes uh, outside of the normal changes, right? Shutting down and those kinds of things. We were able to, to just keep all of our staff, didn't have to let anybody go, just the faithfulness of, of you guys who are, who are bought in. We didn't have to cut out any missionaries, all the work we do, everything we do for Feed the Community, everything we do kept going, and that was amazing. But uh, uh, earlier this year, we felt that God was wanting to shift some things in us. And so now we're in this project, way too much information, but just let you know, where every area of our church is getting looked at again. Every, every department, how we handle things, how we make decisions, not just the ministries like students and kids and grow and those kind of things, but everything we do is getting looked at. In the middle of that, you know, John, John decides to, hey, let's go ahead and make this transition. And so we're in the middle of that. So there's a lot of things being shaped and formed and shifting in this season. So in the middle of that, our executive pastor, he went to a conference and he came back. He said, you know, there was this, this thing I learned about the strategic alignment period. Uh, pyramid, sorry, and, and, and he really kind of broke down our beliefs and what our mission is and, and our vision and all these things that we're working through as a church. And I'm not going to cover all of that today, but I am going to kind of give you an overview of it because it really is important for us in our personal lives to understand the very same thing about what does strategic alignment look like for us? What does that mean? And so uh, there are three sections to this pyramid. I think they're going to be on the screen right now. And there's, there's the foundation of strategic alignment. It's the why. It's, it's the core. It's the calling. It's, it's, the, it's the language. It's the adjectives that describe you and I or for a church or an organization, why we exist. And then out of that existence, out of the why, comes direction, right? How, why do we do this particular thing out of our calling, why does our family do this based on what, what we're supposed to be as a family? I'll give you an example. I think I used it a couple of years ago. A friend of mine was an entrepreneur and he was just struggling for years. And then all of a sudden he hit it big time. And uh, now he, he's a multimillionaire and, and a few years into the new wealth because it's new money for him. He realized that the values of his family started to shift and revolve around money where it didn't before. 
And so they sat down as a family and said, hold on, what has shifted in our family? He had a few teenagers and his wife. What should be the same? What is God doing in us? And, and so they began to talk about it and they began to talk about their values as a family. What is the foundation of our family so that we can set the right direction based on the foundation? Because if we don't set the right direction out of the foundation, it, it, won't, it actually causes us to be out of alignment and out of alignment so long causes a brokenness. So their family said, God has brought this wealth to our family because what he wants us to do in the world. And so we're, they, they obviously kept uh, quite a bit of it, but they gave quite a bit of it away. And in that directive, that direction for their family, they decided Christmas was going to be different. And having a 13, I think they were 13 and 15 at the time, they decided they were never going to do Christmas gifts again. And every year, the gift they were going to give each other was time. Because now that his business had grown, they were spending less time together. So they don't do Christmas gifts anymore. And I think it's about, been about 12 years. And every Christmas, the gift to give to each other is time. Because time was the direction they needed based on the values that they had. And so you have the foundation, you have the direction, and then you have the action piece. And the action is the very tip of the pyramid. And if we're not careful, many of us want to get to the action piece. We're people of action. We want to do. Some of us love to do and do and do, and that's the problem. We do do on everything. <laughs> because we do so much without having a clear direction, and having a very clear foundation understanding of who we are. So it's putting things first. And I heard this quote a few weeks ago in, in, a, in a conference that I went to. It's like, slow is fast, slow is fast, slow is fast. And there was a whole three-hour session on slow is fast, right? And really, I'm going to reframe it for us, is that slow leads to smooth, because it allows you to see the obstacles, the things that you need to shift, things you need to change, things you should morph, things you should cut out, because slow leads to smooth, and then smooth leads to fast. Why, 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 are, why are we covering all of this? Because it's really important that we understand that our belief system really does set the tone for our lives. The things we believe can bring life to us or the things we believe can bring destruction to us. Because if at our core we believe that you cannot trust a person, you can wake up and have a really good day. You can wake up and get a raise. You can wake up and get the dream job, but your foundation is that people are crummy. So eventually you're gonna return to your foundation. So we have to take the time to really sit and say, who am I? What is going on? And we're going we're gonna to cover that over the next few weeks. So I'm not going to dive into that today, but I am going to share a story. We're going to go to a passage together, and we're going to learn about what this foundation looks like and what does it mean to have a shifting foundation. All right, so we're going to go to Jeremiah <clears throat> chapter 29. And if that sounds familiar to some of you, it's because you have verse 11 on your wall somewhere in your house or somebody quoted it to you, or it was seared in your memory. But I think it's really important that when we jump into Scripture, we have a full understanding of what some of the key verses, or verses that we hang our hat on, or verses that become life verses for us. It's really important that we have the context of what's happening. 
So verse 11, we know this. It's not going to be on the screen anywhere. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plan to give you hope in the future. And some of us, that verse has gotten us through a really tough time. Some of us, that's how we begin to make this change in our life, that God is for me, God is for me, God is for me. And yes, God is for you. But let me give you the context in which God said that. And so Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse four. Here we go. We're going to read the whole thing. This is your Bible reading for the entire week. Um, just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, verse four. Yeah, here you have the Israelites. We've talked about this recently. The Israelites are, are in, in scripture called God's people, God's chosen people. And, and they were in Jerusalem and they were in their homeland. They're doing their thing and they, get, they are taken over by the Babylonians. And they're moved, they're moved to Babylon and many of them are taken as prisoners, as slaves, and they're in a foreign land now. And, and this is not what they obviously want to happen. They want to return to Jerusalem. But here we go to verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So even right after that, he removes the excuses of, oh, look what happened to me. Right off the bat, he says, the ones I carried, the ones I was with, the ones who I am still for, even though they're not in the land they want to be and they're taken as prisoners, I am still with them. And verse five, he says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And we're gonna pause real quick. What happens when we go into a new season we don't like? What happens when we get demoted at work? Or maybe you actually got a promotion, but you don't like the managerial side of the job. You, you signed up to be an engineer, but the real money's in management of engineers. But now you're in management. Now you're in meetings you didn't want to be in. Now you have more time given off. And now you're doing this. And sometimes when we get into a new season that isn't settling with us, we can never truly enjoy the fruit of the season, even if it's a difficult one. So here you are, the Israelites are in a place called Babylon. They don't want to be in, but they're having a hard time settling in. So God says, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, settle down. Build houses, grow gardens, have children, grow your families, marry them off. There's, there's an inherent assumption that I need you to just settle into this season of your life. How many times are we fighting the season we're in instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, what's really happening? Get in the lay of the land. Verse seven. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Are you saying that God wants me to pray for my enemies? Yes. Are you saying that instead of speaking destruction over somebody, I'm supposed to be seeking the, the, the best for these people who have brought us from a land that we love to a city we don't desire to be in? And yes. 
And it wasn't necessarily so they would be blessed, but as God's saying, when those who are your leaders, when those who are your bosses, when those who are your teachers, when those who are the people that get to have a say in your life, when they are blessed, you become blessed. It's a shift. Do you see what's happening? God is breaking up the foundation of what they had to reestablish them somewhere else. And they may not like it because we know they don't want to be there. And then, and this, and this where he says, he says, uh, uh, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. What does that mean? That's why I said, I think it was last week when I mentioned uh, when you're going through a really tough time or a tough season and people who love you, who care for you are like, oh, you're going to get through this. This is going to be really fast. I mean, you're just going to be, it's going to be a few weeks of really tough times, man, you're going to make it through. And the people of Israel have these spiritual guides who are telling them, you're going to make it. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. God's going to bring us back to Jerusalem any moment now. And God has to interrupt and say, that's not the truth. They're lying to you. I want you to settle your heart. I want you to not be anxious. And I want you to know that I am with you, even in a season that is causing you pain, even in a season that you wouldn't wish on anybody else. I am with you. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, how many? 70. Some of you guys are like, I don't want to say it out loud. Because you know where I'm going with this. 70 years. Not seven. Not, God, I think I misheard you. 17? I can do 17. No, 70. And those who were older who heard that said, I won't be alive in 70 years. And those who were younger said, I'll be really old in 70 years. And 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Four. Now, all that being said, settle in. It's going to be a rough ride. Pray for your enemies. Grow your families in a country you don't want to live in. And do it for 70 years. Be faithful. I'm with you. And then verse 11. I mean, verse 10. Yeah, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future after 70 years. And I'm not here to discourage you. It's going to be like, well, you're doing a really good job of that. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you that no matter the season you're in, God wants to be present with you. God still wants the best for you. And then verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, the core belief here and the reason why verse 11 really does stand out is because it really is a core belief. It's the belief that in the middle of all that, in the middle of our circumstance, in the middle of everything going on, the core belief and the reason why they sell millions of plaques that have this verse and the reason why you have it up in your house or the reason why you memorize it, the reason why you've heard so many people say it is because verse 11 is a core belief. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I know as God's children, as sons and daughters, we don't like the process. I get it. We're starting new processes at our home and my kids hate it. I sat down with Libby a few weeks ago. I said, you know what? It would be better if we just gave our kids an allowance and we said no to everything else. She's like, really? I was like, oh, we would save so much money. She's like, but we don't spend a lot of money on our kids. I know. We started adding it up. The two, hey, dad, can you stop at Sonic? It's only $2. Hey, dad, can you pick up this at Target? It's $5. It's never more than $20. It's just 100 times at $3 a piece. $300. I'd rather just give them 75 and call it a day. My kids were like, fine, I'll take the money. Give me the money. I can manage my own money. We started this week. And then I said, hey, mom and I are going to get something to eat. Do you want something? Yeah, I want this and this. Oh, wait, you're, you're paying for that. I'll just have a ham and cheese sandwich at home. Right? We don't like new processes. We don't like new foundations. We don't like to be jarred and to be pushed and to be stretched. And yet there's something about where is God in the middle of the stretching in our lives? So what are the, what are the things we can learn from this and what does it mean for us at North and those of us online? There, there are six things really quick. Number one, we have to walk in reality. The reality is God was like, it's gonna be 70 years, get ready. And how many of us don't like our current reality so we, we live a false reality? How many of us are going through a rough time relationally? How many of us are going through a rough time? Maybe our parents are aging. You know, as an executive team here at Gateway, all of our parents are aging. And so we're all walking through what does that look like to care for our moms and dads. And, and you know, Pastor Eric Bryant just lost his father a few weeks ago and walking through that, that season of life. But can I tell you something? It's not like your, our parents are gonna go from being 80 to 40 overnight. There are some seasons we have to lean into. We have to walk in reality. The second thing is um, you have to lead your family well. Lead your family well. And that is not just for people who are married and have kids. We all have families. Leading your family well can be you're a single person. How do you lead your siblings or your parents? Maybe you're a single parent. How do you raise your kids? Maybe you're a grandparent raising children, grandchildren. There's all these dynamics at, at Gateway Church that are so different around family. This isn't just your typical married couple has 2.5 kids, lead your family well. No, we all have family members or we all have friends who are like family. How do we lead them well? How do we raise them to understand? And how do we encourage them and challenge them? There are some of you, especially I know some of our, our, our people here in North, you move from another country and you're immigrants and you're trying to bring your parents over and that's a whole different task. You want them to have a better life, but you're having to now lead your family because they're coming from India or they're coming from Africa or they're coming from Europe and it's a different dynamic because now you seem to be the parent when you used to be the son or daughter. So we all have different family dynamics, but we are all called to lead our family well. And then number three, Seek the good of your city. I know it's really difficult, especially over the next few weeks, to seek the good of our city and our state and our country. Because when we say seek the good of the city, we think we know what it means to seek the good of the city. 
We think because we are on the sidelines, many of us in politics, that we know the answer. Well, if they would just do this, then this would happen. And if they would just do this, this would happen. And this person's an idiot. They're an idiot. No, they somehow just graduated from the idiot school at Harvard, right? They just, there's an idiot track. And what if we looked at all the decisions you made? Can you imagine if we got up here one Sunday and said, we're going to come up here one by one and God revealed to us all the decisions you've made in the last 10 years. Let's put them on the screen. (laughs) What if everybody knew every indiscretion you had? What if everybody knew what your taxes were and we put them on the screen? You see, when we think of those people as humans, even though we don't align with them or we don't agree with them or we don't think they're being very human back, it brings a different perspective. It's not okay for somebody to break in somebody's house and beat them up. It's not okay that you can't be with your kids in your backyard and people are picketing around your house. These things are not okay because these are humans. These are people. So are you. So am I. But sometimes we don't live in the reality of that. And sometimes we don't seek the good of others because we don't see them in their humanity. But they are leaders and they're owners and they're CEOs. And there's all these different dynamics when we seek the good of them. There's something that happens. One of my friends is, uh, he used to work for CityMake and uh, he's, the, he's the kindest man I know. But you know what his job was for Citibank? Buying banks. If you know that industry, they used to call him a shark. Kindest man, gentle man. But he would buy banks all over the world in a really rough industry. And I used to ask him, how do you do that? How do you jump into an industry that is so cutthroat and you're having to fire people and you're having to acquire banks all over the world for a conglomerate like Citibank? And you know what he says? I do because it's my ministry in life. I say, excuse me? It's Citibank, not the church of Citibank. He says, no, what I try to do is I want to be the one buying the banks because how can I best treat these people humanely as I let them go? How can I make sure they have jobs? How can I make sure they get a good, uh, a good uh, whatever package on the way out the door? How can I give them time? How can we treat them with love? How can I be like Christ, even though this industry can just kill people's dreams? I want to live like that. Number four, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. And in this passage, their friends and the, and the spiritual leaders were, were telling them, oh, we're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Sometimes we need to say, no, I need that help. There's many of you I've talked to who've said, I am working with my wife or my husband or my roommate, or I've told my friend, I think I need to, I think I need to be in recovery. But they're thinking it's not that big of a deal. No, if you think you should be in recovery, that's the answer. You should be in recovery. Because guess what? All of us are in recovery. Every one of us. And I know we have people who love us, but we have to not get distracted by the opinions of others. And then number five, God does have a plan. His ways are not our ways. Trust in that. Trust in that. Number six, check your heart. Because at the very end, he says, and you will, when you seek me, you will find me. 
And I know that you found me when you search after me with all of your heart. Where is your heart? And the one I really want to focus on for our campus and those of us online is the first one. As I've been, you can tell, I've been harping on it, walking in reality. And instead of me preaching another message or adding another five minutes and walking in reality, I figured we would now take some of the results we had from our flourishing survey about six weeks ago. We've, we have the results. We had some people, some volunteers who are statisticians who love this kind of stuff um, and, and help break down. And we had so many people respond. I really do appreciate that. And at North alone, we had over 500 people fill it out. Uh, and then online, we had a few hundred people fill it out. And I want to go over some of these results. And, and a couple of them are lighthearted and, and anecdotal, but some are really important to what we're talking about today. And the first one I want to talk about is just kind of what I want to kind of just get onto the men in the room. The women showed up way more than you did. I know, I know. But way more women responded in the survey than men. So just come on, guys. Let's step up a little bit. The second one thing uh, that I really want to celebrate is this. What I love about the mission of our church is that we want to be a place where you just come as you are and people feel safe to be here. And what we found is the ethnic demographics are truly matching what our city looks like. At Gateway North and those online, we're starting to see that our church really does match almost to the percentage, the current percentages we have in our city. And it's, it's, it's telling us a story. It's a story that we really are trying to reach a city and be a church for our city and for all people. And you heard John say it a few weeks ago when he's talking about how God's always put in his heart to have a heart for the nations and how the nations were coming to Austin. How do we have a church that really can be accepting and open and loving to people uh, all across our city? The second one is this. Uh, they're, they're two in one. I think it's the same graphic. Uh, yeah, go, go to the next graphic. And it's this. Our biggest pain point and our biggest win are on the same graphic. Our biggest pain point, both at North and online, the lowest rating that we had was associated with the satisfaction level of inter personal relationships. That's the lowest. Both online and north had the same results. And that's why we're sharing the graphic. Online and north, people's lowest satisfaction was interpersonal relationships. And I'll give you an example of a conversation. And don't think it's about you because I've had this conversation about, I don't know, 200 times or so over the last two years. And it goes like this. I'm in a grocery store. I see somebody. Oh, Carlos, Pastor Carlos, what do I call you? Call me whatever you want. We're having a conversation. And they're like, oh, man, I, I really miss being around people. I know, I know, but you know what? So great, we're, we're, we, we, you know, a couple years ago, we opened back up. You can come, you can wear a mask if you want to. A year later, come on up. We still have a mask section. Now we're opened up. Oh, did we open up? Yeah, two years ago. <laughs> I really miss people. I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure your friends miss you too. I'm sure there's a dynamic. So why don't you come out this Sunday? Oh, yeah, but see what happens is like, I'm watching online and I just really love my coffee and I don't have to get dressed in the morning and I just like don't have to fight the crowds and my kids just sleep in a little bit. See my lean on the table? I'm trying to emphasize the point. What do we love more that keeps us from having relationship with people. When we are made as humans to have relationships with people. 
the, the biggest win that we have right now. And I love it because it's, it's who we are. It's part of our mission. We found the most confidence in our people. And this, I think it was almost all of our campuses had the same win, which tells me a lot about our culture was this, that our hearts, we are setting out to do good in the world. There's high confidence in that. And some of you, it's because you serve. Some of you, it's because you give. Some of you, because you have, you have a, a project that you're working on. Some of you love in your neighbors. If for whatever reason, most people at North and online feel pretty good about I, when I want to do something, I will do it to make a better place in the world. And I, and I love that we have that heart. I really do. The next one is this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look down the row real quick. Just look down the row. Don't make eye contact because that's weird. Look down the row. Look down the row. Just look down. Count, count to six. Count five people beyond you, right? Just count and look at that person, who they are. All right, look at that person. Here's one of the things that we, we love to see. One in six of us watching online or in the room, how we're, we're transparent and honest enough to say, one in six of us are not actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus or don't believe in Jesus or don't know if there's really a God. One in six. So if you happen to be one of those one in six today, how do you know you're not alone? There's so many people who are exploring who God is and God's faithfulness and, and is God even real and the church and all these dynamics. There's some people who honestly said, I don't even know how to answer the question if I believe in God or not. And that's totally okay. But one in six of us who are watching this are not actively pursuing God. And what I want to encourage you is this. You might say you're not actively pursuing God, but you know what I say? You are exploring if there's a God. You're exploring if God is good. You're exploring if this church or churches like us are, have anything to do with God. You're, you're getting past your own hangups to say, is this real? And we're so glad. As we talk about reality, what I want to do is, is just close us out as a campus by breaking bread together. As you came in the room, you should have received um, these elements. Um, if you didn't, I think we have some people. Will you raise your hand real quick if you didn't receive one? We have some people who with some baskets who are going to come down. Um, I think everybody should have received it. And what's going to happen is, uh, normally we do this together, but I wanted you to, to do this by yourself. Um, and he, here's how this works. We have what's called an open table. It's a theological term. Open table is, uh, we have a, if you have a closed table, many of you maybe grew up in a closed table church like Episcopalians or uh, Catholics sometimes have, mostly have a closed table. That means you must be part of the, of the body of the church or you have had to have gone through catechism or some sort of training about your theological bent to participate. We have what's called an open table. That means you don't have to call Gateway Home. You don't have to have gone to a class here. You, but you do, to receive the bread, you say, I, I, I do believe in Jesus. I believe he was real. I believe the work he did. And I want to receive that into my life today. If you did receive one of these and you can't say that, it's okay, no shame. You don't have to like stand up and give it back or anything like that. Just keep it to yourself. And um, Unless today you're saying, you know what? In my heart of hearts, I do think he's real. We'd love for you to join us in breaking the bread. Paul's going to sing here in a second. As he sings, here's what's going to happen. Don't do it now, but you're going to open up where the bread is. 
as you open it, you're going to be reminded of the bread. This is body. Uh, his body that was broken for us. His body that was bruised, taking on our sin, our shame, our mistakes. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol that when we come together, that we're reminded that it's not about you and me. It's about Jesus and the work he did. And then you're going to turn it over and you're going to open up the cup. Um, and you're going you're to drink the juice in there. And it symbolizes his blood. And I know that people get squeamish around blood, but in ancient times, blood was a sign of life. It was part of death. And his blood brings life to us. His blood, the theological term is the remission of sin. It means your sin, your shame, the things that you've done that are contrary to God, it wipes it away. The Latin term is tabula rasa. It's like the, 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 the slate is wiped clean. And what I love today is after this service, we're gonna have people who are getting baptized today. They're gonna be right over here to my left, your right, and they're gonna go public. Yeah, give it up for those people who are gonna get baptized today. And they're gonna say that today they believe in the reality of who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection so that we could be resurrected in Christ. And maybe today you didn't sign up for baptism, but you wanna go public. You wanna say, I believe in that Jesus. Maybe you've wanted to be baptized and you already believe in who Jesus is and you haven't done it quite yet. Let's just do it. Let's sign you up. Let's get you going right after the service. Why? Because when we lean into reality, it transforms us. When we lean into the reality of who we are and our sin and our shame and the mistakes and the seasons of life, and we compound that with the reality of who Christ is in us, it's so powerful. So as Paul sings a song, let's break the bread together. Let's drink of the cup. Let's remember the reality of the power that's in Jesus.